Hello, I'm Reese Gorman, and this is Listen Frontier. Today we have Senator James Lankford with us. Um, Senator, thanks for coming on the show. Very glad to be able to do it. Awesome. Well, we'll jump right into it. Um, so this Congress, this will be, and uh, what is some of your priorities going forward? Well, it's trying to be able to fix, obviously, the economic issues, uh, which is going to be how do we solve the economy? How do we deal with debt and deficit? Uh, what does that look like long-term, not just short-term for right now? How do we get inflation down? But long-term, how do we do with it, deal with that? It's also include the energy policy. Uh, it's not just for Oklahoma. It's nationally. Yeah. Uh, I have lots of folks that are talking to me as well. They can't get solar and wind and nuclear up because of permitting issues, just like we can't get natural gas and oil and hydrogen and everything else going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be a big issue economically. And then immigration is kind of the no-duh statement of all the things that are going on. Uh, we've got to be able to get some real solutions on immigration, uh, starting with how we're going to just stop the flow. And then second, long-term policy, what actually needs to change. Yeah. On immigration, kind of right before we're recording this. Yeah, this is D- hot news. Yeah. yeah, DHS kind of just dropped their proposal and read it briefly, read some news articles about it. It's kind of similar to remain in Mexico policy. Um, there's some similarities, I would yeah, say. That, it's exactly. I, I would say it's a little different than the remain in Mexico. That, uh, President Trump had what he called the transit ban. It's, it's closer to that piece. It's okay. actually asking the simple question, uh, if you're coming to pursue asylum, mm-hmm. did you pursue asylum anywhere else on the way? Mm-hmm. And if not, why not? Yeah. Uh, asylum, uh, technically, if you want to go to the international definition, if you are seeking asylum, you're supposed to just flee to the next safe place mm-hmm. and go there to request asylum. Uh, last time I was in Yuma, Arizona, there were more people crossing the border in Yuma, Arizona from Uzbekistan mm-hmm. than there were from El Salvador. Yeah. So when we talk about the entire world is coming here now, it's because the border's been so open, the asylum process has been so loose, mm-hmm. that literally people can go from anywhere they want to in the world, come to the United States and say, I want to claim asylum. Yeah. But what this administration is now doing with this decision today is to say, no, you, you can't travel from Uzbekistan, come through eight different airports, mm-hmm. and then show up at our border and demand to be able to come into the country. Yeah. That's not the design of asylum. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be you're fleeing to the next safe place. So they're going to have to now prove they sought asylum at some other country and were denied before they can get into the United States and request asylum. By the way, that's not a crazy policy. Yeah. That's what Canada has had in place for 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's what most of the European Union has in place right now. That That's something we've been pushing on the administration to do for two years now, to say this is power you have to do it. Do it. Yeah. And uh, they actually dropped out. A piece saying they're going to do it. That's a good thing. It's not immediate. It doesn't take yeah. effect immediately. They're putting out what's called a rule on it. They're going to get notice and comment. There'll be people that will comment on it for the next couple of months. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll make a decision if they're going to follow through on it. Definitely. And immigration has been kind of a big thing for you um, in kind of the last four, ever since the Biden administration. Really, and even during the Trump no, administration, yeah, it was big, a big, yeah, big, from the, big from the Obama administration. Yeah. It was a big deal during the and, Obama administration. What and now there's really seems to be some bipartisan support for some people are realizing okay we need to do something about immigration I think Senator Susan Collins and all that right. Kirsten Cinema um, I don't know if this mansion but maybe um, but where I mean have you I've seen some of the talks in the media are you do you hear anything about those talks Would you be yeah. supportive of kind of a bipartisan Yeah we yeah we need to talk about this D- during the Trump administration mm-hmm. uh, there was a time when President Trump said he's going to end DACA. And everybody freaked out. But really what he did is he created a deadline for Congress to say, mm-hmm. do something. By this date, do something. Yeah. And so there was a lot of bipartisan conversation in the Senate to be able to pull something together. There was a bunch of votes that happened during that time period. None of them got to 60, but yeah. most of them got past 50. 
Typically, then there'd be negotiation, kind of take the next step to pull the common elements together on all of them and then pass something. But that was the same week the Supreme Court reached into the DACA decisions, and we want that. They pulled it over. Yeah. So that was during the Trump administration. During the Obama administration, that was the time in Oklahoma when President Obama was actually moving people to Fort Sill. Yeah. Uh, and he had a bunch of folks that were coming through that were illegally present in the country. They were keeping it at Fort Sill and just moving through. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is not new. I've worked on this for a long time. Yeah, yeah. What's different now is there are people looking at it on both sides of the aisle saying this has gotten so bad we see it as a problem. This doesn't get better. The Biden administration saying we need legislation to be able to enforce the law on it. And now some Democrat senators are saying, yeah, we need to get legislation done yeah. on this. If there's a serious conversation about immigration, there's been a lot of us been willing to be able to have serious dialogue about this. We've got to secure the border. We've got to have an orderly immigration process. Uh, we've got to <coughs> not just allow anyone who wants to come in the country to come in. We've got to know who's coming in. There's some vetting in that. But we need to have work permits. Yeah. You know, we're about three and a half million people short of what we need in labor right now in America. We have plenty of jobs that are open in America right now. And folks that want to be able to come work from around the world, I have no problem with. Yeah. We just have to have an orderly work process to be able to do that. And that doesn't mean citizenship for everybody that wants to come work in the United States. Mm -hmm. They may work here seasonally and then return. For some of the season, maybe winter. For some of them, maybe summer. Maybe ag. It may be all kinds of things. Uh, but we need we need to have an orderly process, and I think finally a lot of people are waking up to that. Definitely, another kind of uh, big passion of yours is ending abortion. Yeah, um, clearly Roe was overturned um, right. last summer, and we've seen a lot of states, Oklahoma included, outlaw abortion. Right. Um, do you think? Um, what, I mean, what what's next for you? I know you still spoke on the Senate floor. I think it was two weeks ago about abortion. I did. Is this to is your push now to make it illegal federally? Is that your push, or do you want to see more states kind of do what Oklahoma is doing? And do you think Oklahoma's gone far enough? So, Reese, there's really two things here. Yeah. One, have you got the legal aspect of it? What what are we going to do in law? What are we going to be able to pass? We're not going to be able to pass anything right now. Mm -hmm. And the divided Congress that we have to be veto proof majorities, we don't have that right now. Yeah. That's one issue is the legal side. The second side is the is the heart issue of it. Um, a lot of what I do is I spend a lot of time talking about this issue about life to say, okay, slow down. I understand this is a political issue. Okay, let's take political parties off of this. Yeah. Let, let's take all those things off of this. When is a child a child? Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about that. This is not a legal issue, heart issue. When is a child a child? Some people will literally say it's not a child until it's actually born, and now it's a child. I said, well, I disagree. Was it a child 10 minutes before birth? Yeah. And most people go, well, okay, yeah, 10 minutes before birth it was. I was like, okay, then you and I both agree it was a child in the womb. We're just arguing about when it became a child. So when do you think? And some people will say, well, when the heart starts beating, or some people say when it starts kicking, moving around randomly, or some people say when it can feel pain. I look at it and say, I believe a child is a child when the DNA is dividing and it's uniquely different. When those cells are different than the mom's cells. Every single cell in the mom's body has the exact same DNA, except for the cells of that child. They're different. And yeah. I look at it and go, why are those cells different? Because it's a different person. No, that's me. That's the way I'm looking at it. Quite frankly, it's a lot of science. Yeah. It looks at it that way as well. My argument is to be able to engage and say, let's stop talking about what's easiest for the adult. And let's talk about what is important for this child. And it's the opportunity to be able to live. Now, I understand that's controversial to some people. Because for some people, this whole argument is a political argument. And for some people, it's an argument of convenience. I smile at folks and say, there's never a time a child is convenient ever. <laughs> Outside the womb and inside the womb. Kids are not convenient ever. Uh, so it, it can't be just an argument of they're not convenient or this is not the right time. 
we should have just a basic human dialogue. When is a human being a human being? And if that's a human being, what do we need to do about that just as an individual and as a culture? Right now it is state to state because I don't think we're going to make a lot of progress federally. But I'm going to continue to raise the argument. I want to ask people to stop and think about it. Stop being political. Let's think about it as a person. Mm -hmm. And then let's figure out what to do with it from there. I'm not being judgy. I'm not. In fact, quite frankly, I don't run into a mom that was flippant about an abortion. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really difficult decision for her. And I I respect her in that sense. But I also want to respect that child that's also valuable as well. Let's go to another kind of hot topic right now is, in Oklahoma anyways, is the McGirt decision. Yeah, that's a big um, one. I mean, really just the whole thing, Pastor Huerta, um, McGirt, and all that. I mean, what a lot, I know Stitt is saying that, that he thinks that that needs to be, this Governor Stitt is saying that that needs to be kind of legislated at a federal level is kind yeah. of what he's saying. I know some of the, I've talked to some of the um, federal delegation, like, dude, the state and the tribe need to sit down and talk to each other. So it seems like a lot of people are just kind of on. It's a bit of both. I, and w- I mean, where do you kind of stand on it? I know you were on Indian Affairs up until yeah. this Congress. Right. So what uh, where do, you, where, where do you stand on it? What do you so think? It, it is both the, the tribes and the state are going to have to sit down and be able to work out the details. Mm-hmm. Federally, it has to be actually legislated. Uh, the reason I say that is when the Supreme Court made the McGirt decision, if, if people aren't tracking this, and people that listen to your podcast probably are tracking this, yeah. but for, for people that, that aren't tracking all this, uh, the McGirt decision was uh, Jim C. McGirt, who did a really heinous, awful crime, convicted under state court. They then said well, the state doesn't have the jurisdiction because it's a tribal member in tribal area, and this is a reservation. And the state prior to that didn't recognize reservations. The federal government didn't recognize reservations in Oklahoma. Uh, we were considered, even under federal law, a non-reservation state. Mm-hmm. So w- when that decision was made and went to the courts, it was appealed to federal courts, and the federal courts said, uh, all the way to the Supreme Court, that it, when Congress actually brought Oklahoma in as a state, they didn't technically, and it was a very technical argument, mm-hmm. Congress didn't technically disestablish the reservation, so the reservations exist. Yeah. Okay, so then at that point, federal law enforcement for a tribal member on tribal land is done federally, not by the state. Now, why do I go through all the history on it? It's because if the Supreme Court decision was, if you commit a major crime, murder, assault, whatever it may be, that is a federal crime now, the state and the tribes can't make an agreement to go take something away from the federal government. You can't compact that. Mm -hmm. That's not theirs. That is now a federal-owned something. The federal government now owns prosecutions on tribal land in Oklahoma. The state can't agree to take that because it's not theirs to be able to take. So the federal, there has to be a piece of legislation federally to be able to actually give that back to the state or to be able to give that to the tribe. Because right now the FBI is the only one that can actually do prosecutions and it has to go through the, uh, the U.S. Uh, Attorney General mm-hmm. uh, and go through our, the Northern District, Eastern District, or Western District here for our U.S. attorneys. Uh, that's the only way that you're actually going to get prosecutions here. Yeah. If that's going to change, it's got to be a piece of federal law. So anyone that says just the state and the tribes can agree under this and it's going to be done is not recognizing the current status of what it is in federal laws. But saying that, I'm not going to move, and I've told the tribes in the state this, I'm not going to move a piece of federal law. Mm-hmm. I'm going to block everything that has to deal with this unless the tribes in the state are actually coming to an agreement. We're yeah. all fellow Oklahomans. We should be able to work this out as we're working it out. We'll carry it then into federal law and actually implement it. But I'm not going to go around somebody. I'm not going to go around the governor. I'm not going to go around one of the tribal leaders. Mm-hmm. We're all going to work together for a very long time. we got to sit down and be the grown-ups and solve this. Definitely. So basically, 
this might be summarizing it too much, but it's going to be in order for you in Congress to do anything, it's going to have to start at the state level and they're going to have to agree on whatever you plan on doing before you just do well, something. I, I'm not a passive participant here. Yeah, yeah. We're very active. You know, myself, my office, my team, we're very engaged in trying to be able to negotiate a solution here. But it's going to be all of us together. I'm not going to go around anybody to be able to negotiate that solution. So yeah. no one has to worry. One day a piece of legislation is going to just show up and is going to get passed and yeah. go around the tribes or go around the governor. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. Yeah. We're going to sit down together and we're going to continue to be able to do this to be able to solve it. Definitely. Um, kind of next question. I mean, you're now the senior senator uh, for Oklahoma. Yeah, you never interviewed me like this until I was I senior know. senator. And now suddenly you want to interview me like this. It may be. Uh, <laughs> you can read between the lines. Yeah. Sure. Um, so now that you're senior senator, kind of what does that mean? What it, Does there new rules involved? Is there kind of new kind of? Are you, I mean, you're kind of the head honcho now, in a sense. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. Just <laughs> ask, ask everybody in the delegation. It's clear. I, I told Mark Wayne Mullen uh, when he first came in that yeah. uh, I always carried Jim Inhofe's bags. I always got lunch for him. Whenever we went and traveled in the plane, I always put his luggage away and everything yeah. else on that because that's, that's what he's going to do. So far, he hadn't bought that argument yet. Uh, the, the only real difference between junior senator and senior yeah. senator is uh, a lot of times on nominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't know that for the U.S. attorneys, for the federal courts, for all those things, uh, that has to come through the senators. We have to be able to determine that first. So really that process goes through my office initially uh, as the senior senator as we do the filtering of that and then cooperating with the White House. Yeah. Now, it's not that Mark Wayne Mullen's office is not engaged. He is engaged. Mm-hmm. But it goes pr- first off through my office on that, just like it did for Inhofe's office yeah. before. Uh, we'd work through him on that one. Uh, and then there's just some interactions that happen with some of the other uh, state leaders and such on that. But quite frankly, both, se- both senators yeah. from our state vote we both have independent opinions. None of that's any different. Yeah. We both can bring legislation. One thing, so I know Senator Inhofe was really big on earmarks yeah. and um, kind of all that and making sure that Oklahoma and like legislation was getting some funding for certain things. Yeah. You are opposed to earmarks. I am. Could you kind of just explain the reasoning why you're opposed to kind of what, and even just for the listener, what an earmark yeah. is? So uh, an earmark is technically called congressional directed spending. It is, this didn't go through the normal budget process. Mm-hmm. Uh, a member of the either House or Senate just made a request for those dollars, mm-hmm. and it comes directly to the state. Now, sometimes, and I'm going to highlight some of these, I've got a book that I put out every year called Federal Fumbles. Yeah. Uh, some of those federal dollars went to swimming pools in some people's city parks uh, in places or to a library that they wanted to expand their library out to something else. And so some of them we look at and go, that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Some of them went to a transportation project. In off, mm-hmm. most often did earmarks uh, for a road or for a bridge or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I look at it is twofold. One is the earmarks go around the normal process on this. Mm-hmm. I'm very supportive of federal grants, by the way, that are competitive grants because they're looking at the nation and saying, what are the primary needs? We don't have unlimited funds. Mm-hmm. we got to figure out what are the most important needs on this. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are in our state, yeah. quite frankly. And so I want to help our state compete to be able to win those dollars to say it's essential that we actually get some of those things in place. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's a right use of federal dollars for it. It's a federal project. has a federal nexus. I want to make sure that we're competing for it. Yeah. And Earmark goes around that competitive process. and go, I know we're not highest need, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get it for us anyway uh, because I'm more senior than that person is, and we're going to get it. Now, some people would say, love that if it's me that's yeah. getting it, but we hate it if it's something else. Uh, when I look at it and say, that went to Kansas, when the higher need was actually here, mm-hmm. people said, well, I'm mad at them because yeah. they got an earmark for it when we actually have the higher need. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then you can't be happy at all earmarks then. Yeah. Uh, the other 
part about it is pretty obvious. Earmarks are a good way to get bad bills passed mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the, the majority leader of the Senate will bring up a bill that no one's read, no one's gone through, but will come to the member and say, I put your earmarks in there. Mm-hmm. So if you want this bill, if you want your earmarks, then you got to vote for this bill. Don't ask questions about what's in the rest of it. I put your earmarks in it so you can go at home and crow that you got three different highway projects, but ignore all the rest of the junk that's all, all in there as well. If it's a good way to get bad bills passed, then why don't we just not have bad bills? I mean, it seems to be more straightforward to me. We have $31.5 trillion in federal debt. Mm-hmm. At some point, we've got to grow up and look at the facts. This is a problem for us in America. We've got to actually solve some of the budget issues. Yeah. And not pejorative. There's, there's people on both sides of the aisle that are supportive of earmarks. Mm-hmm. I'm, I just don't agree that's the right direction to go. Definitely. So you're more on the, if you need something, there's a... Federal grant process. That's yeah, there's a process you. to be able to go through. Let's get it the right way. Let's go through that. And we, I have a person on my staff that full time works on grants. Yeah, but we're not going to go get grants for somebody's swimming pool in their city park. I'm going to tell them your city's got to raise the funds for that. Yeah, that, that's not a federal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it has a federal nexus to it, it's our ports, it's our roads, it's our rail, it's uh, our fire and safety because they they're the first responders in terrorism. I mean, there there's some basic things that are out there. Go okay, that has a federal connection to it. If there's a point of need, we need to make sure that we're doing things that we need, mm-hmm. but not doing things we don't. Definitely. Um, and kind of and another topic that's kind of off of your marks and all that is, I mean, the 2024 presidential cycle is yeah. kind of already heating up. Are you up announcing right now? Are you going to run? I'm not. No, man. Are you? I mean, I, you I, have the I'm going to go ahead and break news right now. I am <laughs> not running for president in 2024, so pretty clear. Yeah. yeah. It's breaking news. Um, Maybe so. my wife is, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> So one of our senators, Senator Mullen, your colleague, yeah. endorsed President Trump already. Yeah. Um, President Trump was very involved in his campaign as yeah. well. Yeah. And I know President Trump endorsed you kind of the day before the election, I think it was. Or I think the it was week like before. two weeks before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very soon before. Do you, I mean, who do you, I mean, I know Nikki Haley's already in, President Trump. I think they're the only two announced right, right now. And then DeSantis might, Tim Scott might. Right. Uh, do you Mike plan Pence on might, yeah. endorsing President Trump? Or? Uh, I'm I'm going to wait to see what we got in the full field mm-hmm. who's out there. Uh, we don't, we don't, we're not even close to knowing the full field yeah. of the folks that are actually going to run. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to watch and see who else is getting engaged in this race. Yeah. Um, this is a long process. Uh, the primary is obviously not until next spring. We're over a year away mm-hmm. uh, from the Oklahoma primary at this point. Yeah. And uh, we don't know who else is going to be out there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to watch and see the full field and try to make a decision. I didn't get involved in the primaries at all last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016, I, I never endorsed in the yeah. primaries at all. Uh, stayed out of it entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I may do that again, or I may decide to be able to jump in on it. I want to see all are going to be in it. I just want to ask one question. There's um, some, some mystery voice from the yeah. side. <laughs> I just walked in. Yeah. Uh, we saw after the midterm elections headlines that, like, Trumpism is dead. This is proof that that part of the the party is no longer the most powerful arm of the Republican Party. Yeah. How how do you feel about that? No, there's still, there's still a lot of people very supportive of uh, President Trump, and, I, and I've made this comment. I, I don't have a real good feel in the last couple of months. I've been traveling around the state. Been a little different because I've been internationally part of the time, so I've not been out as much. Uh, I've been in the Middle East and working on some of the other policies we've got to take care of there. Uh, but if I go back to let's say five months ago. Probably half the people that I ran to that were Republicans in the state were, were like, I would vote for Trump again right now. And 
half of them would say, nah, I like a lot of his policies. I'd like to have somebody else, though, yeah. to be able to carry those policies. I don't know what that feel would be. That's not a, a real poll. Uh, that's me just talking to a lot of people out and about and traveling around. Uh, but, no, there's still a strong group of folks out there that are very supportive of President Trump. They love what he said and how he said it. And I've had people bluntly say, you know, he had to be that mean and that caustic to be able to actually get the job done. Uh, that's what it takes to be able to actually get it done in politics. I get it. But that there, there are a whole bunch of folks that also say, yeah, I'd like to have somebody else to be able to be the messenger on what do you think happened in the midterms? Clearly, Republicans did do as well as yeah. anybody really expected. Yeah. And, um, and so do you think it was a candidate issue or kind of what was some of the issues? That so there's been happened? a lot of studies on it to be able to look at it. Yeah. There's always the famous autopsy after this kind of thing is done. It's a mixture in every state. Uh, depends on the issue on it. In some states, uh, it was a candidate issue, pure and simple. Uh, had a difficult time to be able to break through on it. Uh, in some states, uh, it was a messaging piece. So some of them, it was abortion, uh, was a big issue on the state on it, one direction or the other. And that became the issue in the state. Uh, so it's a whole lot. But it definitely was not a wave election as we have seen before in a midterm like this. Uh, and, and we actually lost a seat in the Senate, mm-hmm. uh, which surprised me. I thought we would pick up two seats uh, in the Senate or one seat. And so it'd be a 51-49 the other direction. It ends up being two seats the opposite direction, uh, 49-50 mm-hmm. on my, my perspective. Um, so I think there's a lot of questions. But it's not just messaging. Uh, that's not just what it is. Or it's not just President Trump in that sense that he was out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for every single race, we've still got to be able to determine what are the basic core values? What are we trying to communicate? And do people care about those things? Yeah. I mean, you're going into your third term as senator, correct? I think it's like yeah. two and a half. Loosely, years. yes. Yeah. So I was elected for two years mm-hmm. and then I was then ran for a full term. Yeah. So this is technically my second full, full term. term. Yeah. yeah. So how, I mean, I know Senator Inhofe served in the Senate since 94, right? Right. And so he was. There I used forever. to joke with him all the time about what was it like serving with Thomas Jefferson and <laughs> great conversations. Do you see yourself serving for that long? No, I don't. You know, he he was a very faithful servant to Oklahoma yeah. and served and and really kept his perspective and his mm-hmm. conservative values and principles. Inoff was the same at the end as he was at the beginning, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was just solidly pro Oklahoma and worked on it very hard. Uh, but I don't have an intention to be able to stay that long. Uh, yeah. Quite frankly, there, there's some benefit. To, to staying because in the Senate, seniority matters. Mm-hmm. In the House, it's different. But in the Senate, if you're the senior member of a committee, you're the committee chairman, mm-hmm. pure and simple. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you know the issues or not. If you've been there the longest, you're the committee chairman. Yeah. And so I understand for Senator Inhofe staying longer, he got to be chairman of Environment and Public Works. That was mm-hmm. very beneficial to Oklahoma. Then he's chairman of Armed Services. <clears throat> That's very beneficial to Oklahoma. That wouldn't have happened if he hadn't stayed for a while. Mm-hmm. So to me, there's a mixture. Uh, I need to stay long enough to be able to have the greatest amount of impact, but also don't want to stay forever because I understand there's 4 million people in our state. There's a lot of people competent to be able to do this job. It's not owned by me. Uh, I'm a placeholder for the next person, just like I'm following the last person. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So... What is the flying objects in the sky? What are, what are those? Yeah, I can the either conf- as a member of the intelligence committee, I can't confirm nor deny the existence of aliens. I mean, just try to leave it out. <laughs> he was uh, winking. Yeah. So, yeah. No, no. I, it, here, here's, here's what I know. The, the yeah. four objects that we're dealing with. The first one that came through, the high altitude balloon, mm-hmm. 
100% definitely a Chinese spy balloon. This was not a meteorological study balloon from China that blew off course. That's a great story uh, for the People's Republic of China. Yeah. It's not what it was. It's a 200-foot balloon with a giant solar array under it, with cameras, with everything else designed. It didn't just so happen to float over military installations in Alaska, steer its way over Canada, then just happen to float over military installations in Montana. That's not winds. That's no. direction. Uh, so it was definitely a Chinese spy balloon. My frustration with that Chinese spy balloon was the administration knew it was a Chinese spy balloon before it ever got into American airspace. Mm -hmm. It was over the Aleutian Islands, over water. Uh, we have military assets there that had full capability to be able to take it down, and the administration hesitated. Mm -hmm. At the moment, they should have said, that's a Chinese spy balloon. We should take it down before it flies over our military installations in Alaska. They let it go. They hesitated when they should have acted. And so it floats all the way over Alaska, all the way over the continental United States. Huge mistake on the administration's part. They knew they had egg on their face on the mistake that they made for allowing it to be able to fly over the whole United States and spy on us. Mm -hmm. And they gave every excuse, like, oh, the Chinese have satellites, everything else. Okay, I get that. But the, the satellites miles and miles and miles from Earth do not have the same quality of camera as a camera 60,000 feet above. Yeah. So they definitely gain intelligence information from it. They had so much egg on their face, then they panicked. And what happened the next weekend is then they shut down everything they saw on their radar. Over the last two years, over the United States, we've had 250 what they call unidentified aerial phenomena. That's the new UFO term, mm -hmm. UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. We've had 250 of those. They shut down the last three they saw. Mm -hmm. And they can't explain why they didn't shoot down the previous 247. And the last three we saw, the best we can tell is these were look more like a balloon they would use from research projects uh, from a meteorological school from any university across the country or whatever it may be. They, they weren't the big high altitude balloons like the previous Chinese balloon was. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I think happened is they basically got trigger happy and said, we, we got to shoot down everything we see now. But they can't explain why they shot those three down and not the previous, previous 247. So, um, we're, we're going to work through this with the administration. Uh, we've got to have good, clean airspace. The last three were actually flying in our airspace at 20,000 feet or so. That's where aircraft fly. The Hal to do balloon was at 60,000 feet. We don't have anything flying at 60,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, so that's not a danger to airspace, but it's definitely a danger to our national security. So there's a bit of both here, but sorry to tell you, as far as we can tell, they're not actually alien spacecraft. Well, that is a bummer. It is. And, it yeah. is. It is disheartening. I'm sure. So, one thing after the whole thing with the Chinese spy balloon, there were reports that like there were also a lot of balloons over during Trump's administration. Were those known to be Chinese spy balloons? Or were those maybe just the un AI on UAP? Ones? So there's a there's a bit of both there. There's some. Um, I, I can only say that there is a, a bit of revision of history to mm -hmm. be able to go back and to say if we saw this Chinese spy balloon. And it had this signature. Do we can we look back through historical data and find anything that had a signature like that? Mm -hmm. And they went back and looked at it and said, "Yeah, we did actually yeah. find some other things that were like that." Now none of them came over the continental United States like this one did. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not true on it. Okay. Uh, it's it's farther south, like over Mexico and such, and then came over just the barely the tip of Texas or Florida mm -hmm. uh, to look at it. So. It's a little different, but it's also somewhat of a revision of history to say, hey, this was all known in the Trump administration and everything else. This is not an excuse one way or the other. This is just saying once we saw it and we knew what it was, we should take action on that.
thank you, Senator Lankford, for taking the time to talk with us. And, um Look forward to the next time. Yeah, look forward to it. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you.